today we are in week four, the final week of our message series titled Mastermind. It's all about the reality that if you can change your thinking, then you can change your life. We all know from personal experience there are battles going on in our mind all the time and we know that you cannot live a positive life if you have a mind full of negative thoughts. And so today I believe God wants to speak a healing word to each of our minds. We're going to focus in on a word from the Apostle Paul that's recorded in Philippians 4. It's going to be on your outline. We'll look at it in a moment. As we've learned in our other studies in this series, Paul longed to go to Rome, the center of the known world. He longed to go there as a preacher, and yet when he finally got there, it was as a prisoner. And yet in that dark time and those difficult circumstances, chained to a Roman guard at pretty much all times, he wrote this meaningful and encouraging letter to the church in Philippi, and the theme of it was joy, joy. You know, when a dude writes you a letter about how to have real joy, and included with that letter is photos of him riding a jet ski in the Bahamas, you know, you might be a little bit skeptical and think, um, maybe the secret to your joy is your current circumstances because I've never really seen anybody look miserable while riding a jet ski, right? You just don't see that. It doesn't happen. You can't look miserable riding a jet ski. But when a guy writes you a letter about how to have real joy and he writes while he's in chains, then you gotta think, well, there might be something to this. This might be for real. And Paul ends this incredible letter to the Philippians with a set of verses that are a master class on the mind. And I would encourage you to just read and study these verses over and over again this week, word by word, until you really get it, till it really sinks deep in you. Take a look at your outlines. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your what? Your minds, underline that word, minds, through Christ Jesus. Continuing to speak about the mind and how to have peace, Paul goes on to share what we read in our previous study. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. If you don't have it underlined yet, underline that word, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace of God will be with you. That's what we're going to do. We're not just going to be hearers of the word. We're going to be doers of the word. He said these do, underline the word do, and the peace of God will be with you. The title of today's message is The Peace of God. And how many of you would say that you occasionally or maybe even often have runaway thoughts, runaway thoughts. Again, I won't make you put your hand up because if you're not, then you're just making yourself out to be a liar and I don't want to lead you into sin. I'm talking about runaway thoughts where you worry about things. You have anxiety and at times some fear. One moment you're just driving, sitting in traffic or on a chair having a cup of coffee and then a concerning thought comes into your mind and it starts gathering a little bit of momentum and it leads to another concerning thought. And then all of a sudden it's snowballing and you're suddenly tense with worry. Or how many of you have had a traumatic experience earlier in life that still stirs up fear today 
if the right buttons are pushed. One of mine's not that serious, but it still affects me in a very real way. I grew up with a mom who had a, a crippling fear of heights. And I know she's going to listen to this online. So, so, mom, I love you and thank you for this sermon illustration. And the, the pinnacle of this acrophobia, the ultimate example, the most vivid memory I have related to this fear was when I was around 13 years old and we went to Euro Disney. And I, I was so excited. This is something I just dreamed about doing through my whole childhood, and I never thought I'd get the chance to do it. And there we are. We're in the park, and it's what's the first ride you're going to do? And so I immediately choose, let's do something really serious. I mean, something really, really hardcore. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's a ride called Big Thunder Mountain. And if you're not familiar with Big Thunder Mountain, it's, it's, it's themed out like a runaway minecart kind of deal, and it's... It's pretty hardcore. In fact, it's so hardcore, if you're not at least 40 inches tall, they won't even let you ride it because it's that hardcore. It's really not. It's an exciting children's ride. But when I ended up sitting next to my mom on that ride, you would have thought there were 50-50 odds of us surviving. Like this thing could really go either way. And I can clearly remember she thought this was going to be so fun. And then we start going down the first big hill. And on Big Thunder Mountain, even the first big hill, it's not that scary at all. But we're going down this first big hill. And I'm yelling, yeah, woohoo! And my mom reaches over. She squeezes my hand. And she starts praying out loud. Oh, Jesus, please help us to get through this. And she didn't go on any of the other hardcore rides after that. And experiences like that from my childhood passed on to me this, this fear of heights. Even though into my adulthood I, I realized that I'm not actually afraid of heights myself. It's just this involuntary thing that was passed on to me. And so even though I can recognize that, even though I recognize it as illogical, it still affects me. Now, now I do my best not to pass my issues on to my kids and if you're older, then you're thinking, well, good luck with that. But I still get nervous crossing suspension bridges while my kids are bouncing up and down in the middle of it. And I have to restrain myself from yelling at them, you're going to kill us all. And I have to, I have to just stay quiet. <laughs> We're having so much fun right now. This is so good. So many memories. Maybe there's some of you, you're, uh, you're worried about your grades because if you don't get good enough grades, then you won't get into a good enough college, and then you won't get a good enough degree, and then no one's going to marry you, and then you won't be able to have kids that'll drive you crazy, because when you do have the kids, finally you're going to have to send them to school, and then you're going to be worried, because you're going to be sending them where there's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and meth, and knives, and all sorts of violence, and then they're going to grow, and they're going to need cars with insurance and braces, and they're going to be involved in all kinds of things, and, and then you're going to realize that you have to save for their college, but you're still going to be paying off your college, and you're going to be worried, because you have a headache, and if you have a headache then maybe you have a brain tumor and all of a sudden life is spinning out of control and it's all because you haven't studied for the exam that's coming up you ever get runaway thoughts worry and fear and anxiety bouncing around your brain like crazy monkeys or small children so let's talk about worry in the mind if you've been with us over these previous weeks and you've heard us talk about our key thought it's so important I'm going to ask you to write it down again on your outlines it's this your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. As we said before, that's good news if you're thinking about things that are true and lovely and admirable, as Paul would say, if you're thinking about God's truths. But the problem is when we're focused on things that 
make us anxious or preoccupied with things that make us afraid, our minds tend to run in directions that may not be pleasing to God or helpful to us. And why is it that our minds often compound the problem of fear and just think about it more and more and more? Let's try to answer that question. We've been talking a lot about the brain that God designed and put in us. And in our brains, there's a little almond-sized part known as the amygdala. And whenever you're afraid, the amygdala becomes the star of the show in your brain. The amygdala is a very helpful part of the brain because it's the part that's wired for survival. It's the part that makes us afraid so that we run away from things that could be hurtful or dangerous to us. It's, it's the part of the brain that's responsible for fear. If you find yourself in a dangerous situation, the amygdala kicks in, sending these shots of adrenaline to your body, putting you into fight or flight mode. And when we were living in Florida and I was leaning against the oven while talking to Charlene one day and she looked and saw the head of a black snake coming out from behind the oven close to my feet, her amygdala and then very quickly mine too said, danger, time to absolutely freak out. And that's what happened. If you're driving to church, maybe today, and you see someone on their phone while swerving in the snow, your amygdala will kick in and say, danger, time to swerve and save your life. If you're in bed and you hear a loud noise, your amygdala says either hide under the bed or get a lamp. Believe that you've watched enough action movies that you know how to fight like a kung fu master. Take out the intruder. Do it. The amygdala is responsible to help you survive by generating fear. But the problem is that the amygdala is not always objective. It's not always rational. It's got one role, one function, and that is to protect you and help you survive. The amygdala is hardwired to protect you and it generally takes the better safe than sorry approach, which is why I sometimes find myself creeping through my house in the dark, ready to fight a home invader that inevitably turns out to be the dishwasher. This is why this little almond-shaped portion of the brain needs help from the prefrontal cortex. That's the logical part of the brain, the thinky-thinky part, as some call it. It's the part of the brain that speaks up whenever the amygdala goes totally out of control. For example, again, it's the middle of the night, I hear a noise somewhere, my amygdala says, you're gonna die! But just then, my, my prefrontal cortex, which I sometimes affectionately call Charlene, kicks in and, and says, says, no, that was just the heat turning on, just the heat turning on. See, God gave us a logical part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, to work with the amygdala that is pre-wired for survival. So without the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala just responds according to its programming, generating messages like suspension bridges are going to kill your entire family. Uh, for many of us, because of experiences we've had in life, our brains have been programmed to respond to triggers that take you into an unhealthy zone of fear, anxiety, and worry. You see something, you experience something, and it triggers a response that leads to fear and unhealthy thinking. Let me tell you very clearly what Scripture, the Bible, does not say. Jesus, our Savior, did not say, let your heart be troubled. He didn't say that. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Paul did not say, be anxious about everything. But while under house arrest, wanting to be free, Paul said, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't freak out about your big test. Don't, 
stress about the job interview that's coming. Don't be anxious about finding a future spouse, even though you may not have a single candidate anywhere in sight. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. When you're financially burdened, when you're battling an addiction, when you're fighting a marital challenge, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, what do you do? It says, you let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God goes beyond our human ability to understand. It gives us peace even when there is chaos all around us. And God promises to give us that kind of peace, his peace that will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We're not meant to be anxious about anything, but in every situation in prayer, we present our needs to God. We share them with him. And Paul says, if we will do this, then a supernatural peace from heaven will guard our hearts and our minds like a blanket and shield us and protect us from anxiety and worry. Notice this, how do we achieve, how do we find, how do we experience this heavenly peace that comes from God? We experience it, you'll notice, through the pathway of prayer. Talking to God, talking to God. The problem is, as we've said many times before, for many of us, prayer is a last resort. We've all heard somebody say, well, all we can do now is pray. Can you imagine God in heaven going, oh wow, is it really that bad? You're down to just me, the creator and sustainer of the universe? Wow, I guess you're screwed. All we can do is pray? All we can do is pray? No. No, prayer is never a last resort. It's a first line of offense. We get to pray to God. Listen to me. The Bible tells us, one of my favorite verses, that we can come boldly before God's throne of grace to find help in our time of need. If we're praying for things that are in his will for us, all we have to do is ask and we'll have it. He says we do not have because we do not ask. Let me tell you, if you're praying for a marriage to be healed, that's the will of God. You can trust that. You're praying for your kids to know and walk with Jesus. That's the will of God. You can trust that. You're praying for God to help you be bold with the gospel and an effective witness. That's the will of God. The Bible tells us that. We do not have because we do not ask. When you go before God, you've got an audience with the king of the universe. Your heavenly father hears your prayers. And not only does he hear, not only does he respond, but prayer changes you and me literally. Get this, get this. Not only does prayer move the heart of God, but it changes the chemistry of your brain. Prayer doesn't just move the heart of God, it changes the chemistry in your brain. Praying to God helps renew your mind. Let me tell you the science behind it. What happens in our brains that the Lord created. As we said last week, a few decades ago, neurologists believed that the brain didn't change after adolescence. In other words, they thought that you reached a certain age or place in development and the brain became fixed. We know today this is not true. Our brain is constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. It's rewiring itself through our patterns of thinking as we experience new experiences. And this phenomenon is known as neuroplasticity. Our brain is not fixed. We've talked through this whole series about neural pathways. When you think a thought, it becomes easier to think that thought. Again, good news if you're thinking godly thoughts. Bad news if you're thinking unhealthy thoughts. Your brain is constantly changing. But there's another term in this field, and it's known as neurotheology. Neurotheology. What is theology? Theology is the study of 
God. The field is also known as spiritual neuroscience. It's the study of the relationship between the brain and a belief in God. It's a study of the relationship between the brain and a belief in God. It's the study of what happens to a human brain through prayer. And I'm going to give you the spoiler right up front. It's pretty incredible. Prayer changes the brain. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, does it change us spiritually, but it changes the chemistry of the brain. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who wrote a book called Switch on Your Brain, says this. She says, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Prayer changes our brains literally. Toxic negative thoughts hurt the brain and program us for more unhealthy thinking, which inevitably leads to more unhealthy living. Prayer, on the other hand, heals the brain, renews the mind, which is why in Romans 12, Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. The idea being, don't be conformed to the patterns of thinking of this world, but be transformed. Change the way you think to something better. Change your thought patterns to things that line up with the word of God and what he wants for you. And how do you do that? Paul said, by renewing your mind, the renewing of your mind. You see, God's word renews your mind and praying to God transforms your mind. God's word renews it, praying transforms it. So why do we worry then? Why do we get so freaked out? Why is it that we stay awake in the middle of the night anxious? Why do we get so on edge, so uptight all the time? There's a lot of different reasons, but A lot of the time we're experiencing what's called an amygdala hijack. The amygdala just takes over and says, panic, survive, prepare for the worst case scenario. It's bad, it's gonna get worse, it's too late to pray, forget everyone else, just save yourself. An amygdala hijack. That's what someone who studies neuroscience might tell you. What the apostle Paul would tell you and I from a theological position is this. He would say your mind is dominated with the thought patterns of the world. Your mind is dominated by sinful thinking. What do you mean, Jeff? Are you saying that worry is a sin? Absolutely, absolutely. You can define worry this way, write it down. Worry is the sin of not trusting in the promises, power, and goodness of God. Worry is the sin of not trusting in the promises, power, and goodness of God. Worry is saying, God, I don't believe you're big enough to handle this. I don't trust that you care about me in this situation. When you look at what the Bible says about worry, you will be amazed if you actually look at the verbiage at how many times when it addresses the issue of worry or fear or anxiety, the Bible is not giving counsel. It's giving a command. Even Paul, when he speaks here, what does he say? Doesn't he say, hey, do your best, do your best to not be anxious about anything. He says, be anxious for nothing. You go back to the Old Testament. God says, have I not commanded you? Be bold and courageous. Do not be afraid, as he speaks to Joshua. Command, command, do not worry. Jesus, not, hey, guys, Try and focus on the positive. No, Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. 
Don't let it happen. It's a firm command from God. And sin is choosing to say, nope, I'm going to worry. I'm going to be anxious because I don't think you're going to take care of me, Lord. That's why it's a sin. It's the sin of disbelief, of lack of faith. It's an amygdala hijack or letting your mind be dominated by sinful thinking. And Paul would say, instead of letting my sinful nature control my mind, I want to choose. Paul says, I'm going to let the logical part of my brain choose that which is spiritual. Because I believe that that which is spiritual is what is actually true and real. I'm going to let my brain choose the truth of God so that my brain is being directed by God's spirit. And can I tell you, this is why I believe it's so important to understand why you believe what you believe. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but you don't want to have a faith that is just based on a personal experience or an emotional experience that you had. You want to have a faith that is based on understanding why we can believe irrefutably that what we believe about God is true. You want to know. You want to know why you believe what is true. You want to know why you can trust the Word of God. And we talked about that towards the beginning of the year. If you missed that, you can listen online. You want to know that because here's why. Here's why. When the pressure comes in and things don't seem to be working out, if you don't actually know why what you believe is true, you'll suddenly move to the place of, well, I hope this is true. I hope God will take care of me. I hope his promises are true. But when you know that it's true, here's what you can do. You're able to say, no, no, listen. What God says in his word is the truth. It's what is actually logical. It's not some fairy tale I'm hoping is true. It's the true nature of reality. So when my mind is screaming one thing, you're going to die. It's all going to fall apart. You've got no future. Nothing's going to work out. You're falling behind everybody else in life. When you know that what you believe is true, that you can trust the word of God, you're able to say, wait a minute. That's not what the word of God says. That's not the truth. That's the illogical part of my mind. So I'm going to let the logical part rule the part that lines up with the word of God, and I'm gonna choose that. I'm gonna choose that. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, 5, and 6. It's on your outlines. He says, for those who live according to the flesh. He says, in other words, those whose thinking and decision-making is dominated by their sinful nature. People who have no interest in God, who wanna run their own world, what do they do? He says, they, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. So their mind is consumed with sinful thoughts, worldly thoughts. But now here's the difference. He says, but those who live according to the Spirit, those who say, I'm following Jesus, I've given my life to Jesus, he's the one calling the shots in my life. For those of us who have made that choice, we set our minds on what? The things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit. He says, listen, when you're the one running your life, when you're living according to the flesh, you're setting your mind on the things of the flesh. But when you've given your life to God, you're gonna set your mind on the things of God. And then the Apostle Paul, this is how big of a deal he says the way we think is. The Apostle Paul says, this is what a big deal it is, the way you think, what you think about. He says, for to be carnally minded is death. Underline the word death. But to be spiritually minded is, underline this, Life and peace. Paul is literally saying, whichever one of these directions you're thinking, 
towards the flesh, towards that which is carnal, or towards the things of the Spirit. He says whichever way you allow your thinking to go is leading you either toward death or towards life and peace. If you let your sin nature run your life, which is what happens when you run your life, your mind is gonna be full of things that will eventually lead to death. I'm not just talking about ultimate eternal death. I'm talking about death in your relationships, death in your marriage, death in your family, death in your soul, but yes, eventually eternal death. But if you want to experience death in each area of your life, man, think like the world. Think carnally. But if you allow Jesus to run your life, which is what happens when you've made the choice to follow him, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to call you to think along things that are heavenly and godly. And as your thoughts change as you do that, the way you view life, the way you view people, the way you view relationships, the way you view work, the way you view everything begins to change and life and peace begin to flow into your marriage and your family and your relationships and your job and your soul and yes, your eternity. And Paul says all of this flows out of the way you think. And Paul says the way you think is gonna be determined by what's running your life, you and your flesh, or God and his spirit. This is a big deal. We're not just talking about psychobabble nonsense. The apostle Paul says, listen, the way you think is putting you on a road in every area of your life toward death or towards life and peace. That's why we wanna take every thought captive. That's why we wanna get our minds in agreement with the life and peace that God wants to bring into our lives. So if there's a thought that's not consistent with God's word that comes into our mind, we take it captive and we change that thought and we say, that's, that's not true. This is what is true. This is what the word of God says. And we make that disobedient thought obedient to Jesus. With the truth of God's word, we demolish every idea, every scenario that comes into our mind that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take those ideas captive because we will not be dominated by sinful thoughts that are displeasing to God, that pull us out of God's will and lead us to a place of darkness. Instead, we're gonna follow the leading of God's spirit by choosing to follow God's truth, which doesn't lead us to anxiety or stress or fear or panic, but to what the Apostle Paul says, life and peace, life and peace. So how do we actually allow the Spirit of God to control our thoughts? Well, we, we tell our prefrontal cortex to put our amygdala in a chokehold by choosing to give our burdens to God. Let me explain it to you this way. You've got a, you got a box full of worries. Oh man, I've got this thing coming up and this thing coming up and this and oh, oh man, it's gonna be bad. And, and as you think some of those thoughts, your amygdala perks up and says, did somebody call me? Somebody call my name? But you say, no, I'm not calling you amygdala. I'm calling on God. And you instead say, Father, I give you all these things that I'm worrying about. I give them to you. You take it, Lord. You take it. And that's what we do. Or should I say that that's what we should do? What we actually do more often, even as believers, is we, we give it to the Lord. And then in the middle of the night, we wake up and we say, Okay, Lord, I'm gonna take it back now. I'm gonna take it back now. We start worrying about it all over again. Why does that happen? Why does that happen? I suggest it's because our view of God is, is too small. In our mind, in that moment, the problem is too big for God. Our God's just too small. So what's the solution? Remember the movie Jaws? We're gonna need a bigger boat. You're gonna need a bigger God. 
Because the bigger your God is, here's what happens, the smaller your problems seem in comparison. And the way that you get a bigger God is given to us by Paul in his instructions that we read in Philippians 4. I'll I'll read them again. He says, be anxious for nothing. That's a command. But in everything by prayer and supplication, and then underline these two words, with thanksgiving. Don't miss that. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, that's the key to getting a bigger God. You pray, you share your needs with God, you give your burdens to him, but you do it with what? You do it with thanksgiving. What do I mean? What I mean is that as you're praying, you're thanking God for the way he's taken care of you in the past. You're thanking him for the way he's been faithful. You're thanking him for the promises in his word. You're praying, Father, please take this burden from me. I'm putting it in your hands. Thank you that I can put it in your hands because you invited me to do that because you love me and you told me in your word that you care about me so I don't need to worry. Thank you that nothing's too difficult for you. Thank you for all the ways you've taken care of me in the past. Thank you for all those things I've put in your hands before that you have freed me from and that you have taken care of. Thank you for all the times you've done that that I don't even know about. And as you're praying, you're doing it with thanksgiving. Why? Because God needs reminding that, oh, oh, right, I am a good God. I do care about you. Oh, maybe I'll get on that. No. No, because you need reminding of who God is. I need reminding of who God is. And here's why this is so powerful, because you're taking a moment of worry and anxiety and you're turning it into a moment of programming your mind to have faith in the goodness of God. And every time the enemy tries to flood your mind with worry and anxiety, you're instead saying, no, I'm gonna turn this into a reminder of the goodness and faithfulness of God. I'm gonna preach to myself as I thank God for what he's done in the past. And you know what we know about the brain is that every time we think a thought, it becomes easier to think that thought again. So as you do this, you begin to program your mind to respond to fear and anxiety with thoughts about the goodness of God. You do this consistently enough, you will literally feel fear and worry and scriptures will immediately begin to come to mind because you've just gone to those scriptures so many times when worry and fear happen. It's sort of like Pavlov's bell that becomes the idea worry and fear happens and you're like, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm with you even till the end of the age. That's what Jesus said. Be anxious for nothing, the Apostle Paul said. And these things just begin to pop in your mind and instead of worry and fear triggering doubt in the goodness of God, It triggers faith and a reminder of the goodness of God. And when you do that, what happens? Well, the peace of God begins to wrap around your mind and around your thoughts. Do you need a bigger God? Learn to pray with thanksgiving. Write this down. Praying with thanksgiving trains your mind to believe in a bigger God. Praying with thanksgiving trains your mind to believe in a bigger God. And if you ever need a a practical exercise to get a bigger God, here's something you can try. You can take any box you want. It can be plain like this. You just put God on there. Guys, you don't need to worry. Your box will not be as pretty as your wife who will spend hours on Pinterest trying to figure out how she's going to decorate her box. You can just take this and and you can put some some different things in there. Anything that you're worried about. You're worried about your job. you, You put that in there. You're anxious about one of your kids walking with the Lord, so... Just put little Billy in the box right here. You've got concerns about your marriage. You just say, okay, I'm putting it in the God box. Suspension bridges, just 
I'm putting it in the God box. And you close it up. Every time a burden starts weighing on you, starts flooding your mind, every time your amygdala starts, starts twitching, you write down what the worry is and you put it in here and then you pray and you just say, God, I'm trusting you with this person. I'm trusting you with this situation and with this issue. And here's why you do this. You go on with your life. But if you want to worry about it at two in the morning, here's the deal you make. You've got to get out of bed if you want to worry about it at two in the morning. You've got to take it out. And you actually got to say, God, I'm, I'm, taking that, I'm taking that concern back so that I can worry about it. And you know what happens as you do that, you begin to feel so ridiculous. Because number one, it feels ludicrous to take something out of God's hands so that you can worry about it more. It feels ludicrous to say, God, I think as I lie here in my bed at two in the morning unable to sleep, me worrying like this is going to do more good then we'll be done if I just leave this in your hands. You might make it to the box. You might take it out. You'll just look at it and you'll say, nah, no. God, that belongs with you. I'm going to leave that with you. I'm going to trust you with that. What does the Bible say we're to do? It says we're to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. He cares for us. We don't just take our worries and put them with God, but, but we take our whole lives and we put them in God's hands. We give it all to him. We give it all to him. Now I know what, what some of you might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, well, that seems a little bit irresponsible, Jeff. You're saying the solution is just living in denial? Don't do anything about your problems. Just write them down on a piece of paper and throw them in a magical box and call it Christianity. Let's see how that works out for you when they come to repossess your home. They're not going to be very impressed when you're like, but I put it in the box. I'm not talking about living in denial. I'm not talking about that. Here's how we, how we try to live this out. Make a note of this. If there's something I can do, I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to do what I can do. In other words, if I've got a, a health issue that can be helped by changing my diet, I'm going to need to change my diet. I'm going to need to exercise. I'm going to need to go to good doctors. I'm going to need to do what I can do. I can't just say, oh man, I need to lose some weight. Write it on a piece of paper. Put it in the box. Can't do that got to do what you can do. you got a big exam coming up. Hey, I'm going to study, and then I'm going to study, and I'm going to study, and I'm not going to play video games and lose an entire day somehow to just looking at memes online. I'm going to keep studying. I've got a financial issue. I'm going to make a budget. I'm going to get good advice. I'm going to spend less than I make. Crazy idea, right? I hear great things about it. I'm going to do what I can do. And then write this down. I'm going to give God what I can't do. I'm going to give God what I can't do. I'm going to do what I can do, and then I'm going to give God what I can't do. And ultimately then, last one, write this down, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to give God what I can't do. I can't heal that person. I can't change that person's heart. I can't make them forgive me. I can't control everything. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to give God what I can't. And I'm going to trust him no matter what. That's how this works. And so that box, that box is for those things that are, are beyond your control. The things that you can't do. That you need to let go to God. Because even though you can't do them, we love to worry about them. We love to worry about them. It's about giving it to the Lord. And I want you to imagine this. Those of you that often battle with worry, like I do. I want you to imagine a, a true heart of peace. A deep, abiding, not fleeting, but abiding sense of heavenly joy 
a peace of mind that's impossible to explain with words and a depth of trust in God. And what I want to remind myself of and to let you know is that that really is possible for us. That's really possible. But it's also a choice. It's a choice of where you and I allow our thinking to go. If your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, is your life moving toward death or toward life and peace? You're moving in one of those directions this evening. When I look at my thoughts, sometimes I don't like the direction they're taking me. That's why I'm working on this stuff in my own life. Sometimes my thoughts are saying, life is hard. It's too difficult. You can't get it all done. Nobody's going to understand. Nobody cares. I can't keep it going. How long can I keep doing this? And I have to choose to say, no, no, no. My thoughts do not get to lead me away from the will of God. Because I know that if I don't control what I think, I'll never be able to control what I do. So what do we do? We identify the truth in God's word that sets us free from the lies in our patterns of thinking. We write down that truth. We don't just find a verse and go, oh, that's nice, and close our Bible and then never find it again. We write it down. We meditate on it. We memorize it. We confess it out loud. How long? Until we believe it. Until we believe it. We write it, think it, confess it until we believe it. I belong to Jesus, not because I never let go of him, but because he never lets go of me. I'm a blessing to my heavenly father because Jesus has made me righteous. Today was given to me by God to enjoy him and glorify him, and my life is saturated in the goodness of God. I confess the truth. truth. God has a part for me to play in his story today, and he's prepared good works for me to walk in. Through his spirit, God has equipped me with the time, energy, abilities, and resources to accomplish his will for my life this day. Failure, disappointment, and discouragement do not break me. They only cause me to rely more on Jesus and become more like Jesus. No matter what happens today, my God will accomplish something good through it. You got to declare what's true about you. Renew your mind with the truth. Write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Tell yourself you're not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. The weapons that you fight with are not weapons of this world. The weapons God has given you has the power to demolish strongholds. You have the mind of Christ directing your thoughts. You have the word of God guiding your steps. Worry is not your master. You trust in God. His peace guards your heart, it guards your mind, and guards your soul in Christ Jesus. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. The Lord is your helper, you will not be afraid. You're not a slave to your habits, you're not a prisoner to an addiction. You've been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. You can't control what happens to you. But you can control how you frame it, how you view it. You don't interpret God through your circumstances. You interpret your circumstances through the goodness and word of God. And you bathe everything in prayer. Everything in prayer. Because you're not anxious about anything. But in everything, you present your requests to God with thanksgiving. And as a result, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. There will always be a battle in your mind, always. Let Jesus win the battle. Take the thoughts captive and let Jesus replace them with the truth because Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. It will set you free.
Let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, today set us free, Lord. We ask that you would, you would renew our minds once again with your truth. If you're here today and you've got some burdens that you've been carrying that you want to give to the Lord, something that's been weighing heavily on your heart, there's a concern, there's a person, there's a thing, there's a relationship, a, a medical issue, a financial burden, whatever it is, give it to God. Put it in the God box. Be wise. Do what you can do, but give God what you can't do. Stop worrying about it. And no matter what, trust, trust, trust in Him. If you're doing that, I, I just want to invite you. Invite you, if you're comfortable, that just in faith, just put your hands out in front of you as though you're giving something away to God and hold it out to Him and trust in faith that He's taking it from you right now as I, as I pray for you. Father, I, I thank you that right now your peace and your life are flooding into hearts that have been troubled and stress, Lord. Sleep that has been lost, unable to be gained, or a restlessness, Lord God. You're lifting that right now in the name of Jesus as we give our cares to you because your word tells us you care for us. You've promised to never leave us. You've promised to never forsake us. And you've promised us that nothing can separate us from your love. And so, Father, we confess that we cannot handle everything. There are things beyond our control that the enemy intends to break us, but Lord, you desire to use to bring us closer to you. And so we choose in faith right now not to allow those things to stir up doubt and fear, but instead to cause us to turn to you, to trust you, and choose to walk toward the life and peace that only you have. God, renew our minds. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to think about the things that lead to life and peace. Lord, you are the truth. You are the truth. And you promised that if we wanted to, we could know you and you would set us free. So Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, help us to know you and to walk in the truth and the freedom that only you can give us, Jesus. We release to you all worry, all anxiety. Because there's a greater power at work in our lives. The love of God. The love of God. Thank you for that, God. We love you, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, 
I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.